Rejoice, Bachelor Nation. Bachelor Party is the podcast for you. Juliet Lippman is here to break down every detail and piece of drama from the latest episode of a Bachelor franchise. Joined by fellow superfans, members of Bachelor Nation, and Ringer colleagues, this is the one-stop shop for all your Bachelor needs. Check out Bachelor Party on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRigger.com and joining me on the other line, really regretting spending the weekend with Shailene Woodley and Aaron Rodgers, it's Andy Greenwald! It was a very nice affair. You know, we just played some board game Settlers of Catan yeah. and breathed on each other and I couldn't imagine what possibly could have gone wrong. Just some homeopathic medicines being shared amongst friends, man. There was a lot of bee larva. In retrospect, yeah. that was the giveaway. That was the giveaway, I think, yeah. I said to Fennessy earlier today, uh, what's up, everybody? It's The Watch. It's Thursday. Uh, it's Chris Ryan and Andy Greenwald. We're here to talk about TV, pop culture, and everything in between, which in this case includes this. I was texting with Fennessy this morning, yeah. and I was saying to him that somehow Miles Teller and Aaron Rodgers being like, on the vanguard of the anti-vax movement is like the true, that's the true death of Grantland. (laughs) Like we came, (laughs) we came out on the other side of the tunnel. (laughs) This is why we can't mix our sports and pop culture anymore. I know. That's why we, it can't happen. I get that. I respect that. Andy, what's up, man? I'm back in LA, uh, feeling the, feeling the vibes from California. Um, just an amazingly unpleasant experience in the friendly skies to get back here. But here I am. Uh, it's good to see your, your, your face in the same time zone. How are you doing? I like that you guys can't see this because this is a, an audio podcast, but Chris did glance to see if my face was a smiling face at that moment. <laughs> no. He's like, how, what modifier should I use to describe this face? I was actually looking at my phone because a guy's going to come and cut my hair in my backyard in a, in a little bit. So I was just making sure I didn't get it. Excuse me? Is this sort of like initiation right? What do you, what do you mean a guy's going to come and cut your hair? Yeah, in I'm joining the Lost Boys. Does, does he need a lock of your hair for some sort of like summoning spell? No, no. Wow. You know, it's just like, I just, I got to get some stuff done, man. We got, it's like one of those times of the year where you get to November, like whatever it is, uh, right. third. And then you, you know how you start to like think about like what you're doing for the rest of the year with holidays and stuff like that. And you're like the year's over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know it's what I mean? Done. Like I'm yeah. trying to, I, I couldn't even believe it that we're going to have to like probably put pencil to paper and figure out our top 10 list soon. We got to get S mail back. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it's, 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 it's all happening. It's rolling towards, towards big baby new year. And you can't do it unkempt. Yeah. You can't do it. No. I, I get that. I respect that. I got to be you. like a, a shorn Siamese cat. As I as I prance <laughs> along the fence of 2021, can I um, just do a little uh, just do a little side business here to discuss this? I learned something. You know, I think that is that is that there's it, more movies from that Finnish guy that you haven't seen. How dare you! 
How dare you leave me alone with my Criterion collection, okay? I'm having a nice time. It's not hurting anyone. I just, just a little, like, I feel like getting older is just, doesn't happen all at once. It's just a series of events where suddenly you're alone in a field being like, guys? Guys? <laughs> like, huh? Not like Kaya at the Outside Lands Festival this weekend, uh-huh. where she was not alone in a field, having a great time, and um, seeing lots of bands that I um, have very little knowledge of, as we <laughs> determined before we started the podcast. But I wanted to bring this up because we've been having uh, a little, some internet issues in the home, you know, which yeah. really aren't internet issues anymore. They're just issues, frankly. I mean, this is, we are all extremely online, right? And uh, so it really came to a head when the girls were watching The Tale of Princess Kaguya for like the 19th time. This is a uh, Studio Ghibli movie not made by Miyazaki. Those are words that would make sense to you, Chris, had you actually followed through on your agreement to watch one of the Great Masters films. But, uh-huh. you know, we'll, we'll get to that. We have a lot of time before the end of the year, as you alluded to. I'm sure we'll get to it. <laughs> anyway, it kept being, the internet kept being like, like, HBO Max kept being like, nope, no, sorry. Excuse us? Can we, can we, play? and it would just say, so, oops. It went wrong. That's because so it, like, it had okay, some internet problems. It had so much Dune usage, you know. <laughs> it did. It was a high <laughs> high burn rate to get the spice in the full picture that we needed. So so I called um, the people. You, at, ca- you uh, called Casey Blois. <laughs> I called Casey Blois directly. I did call his boss, whose name is uh, Roger. He's at the call center at AT and T. I'm only calling him out because actually a great customer service experience. Oh, Lo- that's good. Loved him. We had a great time chatting. He was like, "Oh, guess what? You know, I you're eligible for for an upgrade." He was like, we can get you the fiber. And I was like, first of all, I'm not, I'm not that old, Roger. I feel like we're really pushing the fiber. Like it's going to be really good for my health in a way that makes me uncomfortable. But he was like, yeah, you're, this is going to be great. You'll actually be charged less money. And um, this is going to give you, he, he, at this point, he broke into jargon. Now, I was never in the Grantland office. So I don't know all about like SEO and stuff like that, like you do, because you were in it. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? Like, because you are basically an IT guy. So he was like, you're going to get a thousand. You know, I like was one of the editors of Grayland, right? Like I didn't just like I, fix I, people's I, I email accounts. I never no. came into the office. Okay. A thousand <laughs> megs up and a thousand megs down. Right. And I was like, yeah, yeah. I want them going up and down. I love it. Let's get that going. I was like, just a point of reference, Raj. What do we got going on now? Like, what are we, what are we cooking with? Like, right. You're figuring what, like, am I at 850? Right? Yeah, I just figure he's offering me a little sprinkle of finishing salt. You know what I mean? Like fleur de sel just to make the dish really pop. And he's like, well, let's take a look here. Let's take a look here. Yeah, so right now you got 45. I'm like, yeah, 450. <laughs> he's like, no, no, did I stutter? He's like, you got 45 going up and the same 45 raining back down. <laughs> and I have never felt so humiliated in my life. And I feel like I need to apologize to every creator in Hollywood. Oh, because you've work, just... You, I have clearly... <laughs> not seen... Have, you, have your daughters ever actually seen a Mitsuyaki movie? Or are they like... <laughs> no. Do, do, do you remember... They're watching when, it on Winamp? Do you guys remember when I was like, okay, fine, I checked out Ted Lasso and I'm never going to watch it again because it's blurry. Do you remember like that was my problem? I was like, this show is just... The, the production value is so low. Yeah. Like I can't even tell... What's a crumpet and what's a biscuit or whatever. Well, this is how you can spend your holidays is going back over the last couple of years and just watching all the shows. You just hear, I know I made this joke last week, but I just, now I just think about it all the time of Lawrence Fishburne being like, your eyes hurt because you've never used them before. 
Chris, what have I been doing? How, you should just all revoke my my cultural criticism hall pass. I would never do that, Andy. I just I believe in your right to your opinion. But the thing is, I, I you know I use AOL for everything else, and that's been fine. <laughs> it works for some people in this company. <laughs> um, that is true, Andy. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Marvel today. So it's Thursday tomorrow. Once you're hearing this, uh, Narcos Mexico season three will be going up. Uh, it's the final season of I think of. Like, I don't know if it's the final season of Narcos. I'm still trying to wrap my head around it. I want to talk to Eric Newman, who's one of the showrunners and one of, you know, the big honcho of Narcos and have him on the pod again and uh, and chat about the show. It's one of, you know, it's one of my favorites over the years. Uh, it's one of Kaya's favorites over it's the years. Kaya's favorites. I, I want to hear Kaya talk about it. Kaya, dial in for a second here. Is it one of your favorites or do you just, you enjoy it? Did you start watching it because I was screaming about it or are you just like a a big drug trade fan? Huge huge drug trade fan. Um, no. Yeah. She was at a music festival, Chris. Come on. What more did she have to tell you? Uh, it's not one of my favorites. I cannot remember why I started watching it. I mean, it's definitely, I kept at it because of the Chris Ryan enthusiasm. Thank you. Thank you. See, I'm glad it make, make, wow. I make a difference in people's lives. I think also it's like Kaya, a big Netflix person. If it's on mm-hmm. Netflix, she'll just see, just, she'll just run through it. Um, so we're going to talk about Narcos at some point, probably next week once the season has gone up on Netflix. Big fan of this season. But Andy, I wanted to talk to you a little bit about Eternals today, uh, which is a new Marvel film, which we have not seen yet. And I'm being sincere when I say I've not seen this yet. So Can I am you see going... with me? Can we go? Do you have a plan? Some people see have with earthquake you. plans. Like, can we have an Eternals plan? Yeah, I mean, I guess I would go see it with you. I'll admit that given the reaction, so it's now currently at, at 53% on Rotten Tomatoes, which I really don't care about. Like, I personally just watched Paranormal Activity Next of Kin, mm-hmm. which I thought was one of the best movies I've seen this year, crazily enough. Really? And it is at 22% on the tomato meter. So, you know, it takes all kinds. You never know what's going to happen. On, on the old tomato meter, but... It's funny. I, By the way, that Paranormal Activity movie, that was talked about at school drop-off this morning. Do you know where it's set? Uh, no. Amish country. Oh, so it's... You know, that's It's local. Maybe some Uts, Uts potato <laughs> chips involved. I, this is a whole tangent we're not going to do, but it is a minefield having children in Los Angeles uh, around Halloween because all the horror movies have, like, city block size ads up. Oh, yeah. And so we're like in the drop-off line, and my child is like, Daddy, why does Halloween kill? Why does Halloween kill? <laughs> anyway, please go on. Okay, so you, you're considering seeing Eternals with me. for what? Just so you know, full disclosure, uh, I was invited by Miles Teller to see it. He and Kyrie Irving are hosting a screening in a in, very, very small room. At Lambeau. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, absolutely the opposite. It's actually just in a, in a den. Good. Good. Yeah. Um, well, I, I I have to admit that I think that the the mild or this sort of lukewarm reaction that this movie is getting from critics has mm-hmm. at least like dulled my like need to see or opening weekend feeling. I'm gonna go see it. I, I it's you know it's obviously a major stepping stone in the next phase of whatever these the Marvel Cinematic so Universe. Excited about stepping. No, no, stones. no, no. So here's I, the here's the here's the thing I wanted to say is that all right. I've been really interested to read about. This is the first time I think that there has been a giant Marvel movie where going into it, it seems like there's a, like already have been like a, we're, this is a write down. Like, I'm not saying that, that, that it's not going to make money. I think it's already like 
put up like 75 million in pre-sales. I'm not saying that it maybe doesn't have like a revival, like a a, a critical say, like um, revival, even within the first few weeks of it being out and being like, actually, right. it wasn't as bad as we said it was. But I am kind of fascinated to see whether or not, what, 15 years into this thing, Marvel you know, is that any kind of crossroads? Because right now yeah. we've had, uh, what is it? Three start going on four TV shows this year with uh, Hawkeye coming in November of, you know, you know, obviously WandaVision was, I think, critically acclaimed, but, you know, you and I had our, our feelings about it. I think we were both interested in Falcon and Winter Soldier, but it was the most sort of traditional of the, of the three shows we've seen so far. Loki, I think started incredibly strong, ended incredibly strong, had a little bit of a weak middle. Um, but, you know, they're figuring it out. A lot of those shows, though, are based on legacy characters in terms of the MCU, whether it's Renner, whether it's Sebastian Stan and Anthony Mackie, whether it's whoever. This is new. This is new territory of the Eternals. And they're trying to do something here where they they keep this this game going for as long as possible with the with the knowledge that, you know, how many more years is Hemsworth going to be doing this? How many more years is Pratt going to be doing this? How many more years is is Holland going to be doing this? How many more years is Spider-Man going to be a Disney property versus a Sony property? Because Sony's obviously building out a lot of stuff around the Spider-Man universe with Morbius and all that it, stuff. I mean, to answer that, Sony is never giving it away. You can, you can, Marvel can try to get Spider-Man back by clutching it from Morbius's cold, but, but, dead, vampiric but, hands. But what I'm saying is like, Tom Holland can't do like nine movies a year, right? So like if Sony no, no, wants right. to put out a Venom and a Morbius and a Craven, whatever, like if they want to keep making these movies and Spider-Man is, is eventually supposed to show up in these, yet he is also like the new Robert Downey Jr. in the MCU right. and is supposed to be the connective tissue between this and everything else. I don't know, it's a tough ask. So that's a that's a tough ask for uh, for that character and for that performer. So I guess I wanted to ask you, like, do you see going into this weekend with mm-hmm. Eternals? It, it's one of the biggest movies of the year in terms of the way it's being promoted. But I think generally speaking is already being seen as something of a of a misfire. Do you do you think Marvel's at any kind of crossroads here? Well, yes and no. I think I want to start with the second part, which is I'm extremely curious to see this movie because there's a very high chance that it's not not particularly good. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I definitely get those vibes and I have that inclination to believe that. I will also say and give it credit for this as I say it, that it definitely seems like it dis- doesn't do the Marvel movie thing. That it is an attempt to expand the palette and the artistic uh, framing of what a Marvel movie can be. And I want to go into it with an open mind in for that reason, because these things have to evolve or die. Mm-hmm. And so if it does manage to to try to do something epic and remove some of the winky winky, we're all in on the same joke here in Atlanta vibes, I think that's probably a smart play for growth, even if it causes some people to maybe um, recoil. Because I think that there are movies, I mean, the, one of the more amazing things about this unprecedented run of MCU is that there are, there are straight up bad movies in there. But because they all kind of leave you feeling vaguely the same and hit the same points and also keep you wanting more, they get memory hold. You know, it, it's, I mean, we we talked about it on this podcast, like we're, like we're some truth tellers, but like, 
Captain Marvel was bad. Mm -hmm. It was a bad movie. There's very little redeeming in it. Um, but we don't talk about that. It was a huge success. I, I love the character. I think the character has more tread on its tires and places to go. But that wasn't good. But it was winky winky and Sam Jackson was there and okay. So we move on to the next one. This one is definitely not winky winky. And I think that is kind of interesting. My concern is that it's not just not winky winky. It's po-faced Zack Snyder DCU. Right. So that's a bigger problem as far as I'm concerned. Okay, to your other question. And by the way, underreported also, this is the new movie from the reigning Oscar winner for Best Director. Mm -hmm. This is Chloe Zhao's new movie. I know. That's so wild. Um, and also just not, we're in a delicate place with that because I think people are being potentially, there's a, there's a third way, which is that people are, that this movie is awful. And people, and are, people being are being nicer it. about it because they, they're pulling for Chloe Zhao as a, as a filmmaker. Yeah, and they, and they understand the opportunities this presented and respected and blah, blah, blah. And there's nothing wrong with that, but I think that's worth pointing out. But we don't know because we haven't seen it. Okay, so to your next point, yeah, this is a massive heat check. This is a massive heat check because there has been this assumption in Hollywood and uh, clearly internally at Marvel all they have to do, and, and I'm I'm being I'm speaking broadly because a lot of people work very very hard on these things, and there is it's not like um, their development process isn't Kevin Feige, you know, idly thumbing through a decades old long box, pulling out a title and being like this. Mm -hmm. I mean, every single thing, every single gear that gets fit into this large unwieldy machine is just obsessed over and worried over, and and there are multiple versions of it, you know, in, in play before one is decided on. Blah blah blah. But yeah, pulling a card from the Jack Kirby's return to Marvel in the 70s space deck and being like, we'll just start something different is hella weird. You know, it, it's, it's also not necessarily, although I'm sure there are post-credit sequences that will tell us uh, otherwise, this doesn't feel part of where Marvel has been trending for the last 18 months, which is multiverse. Mm -hmm. You know, in 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 varying ways, everything we've seen so far this year has hinted at it. And specifically the TV shows you're talking about. WandaVision, you know, Wanda has a connection to Doctor Strange who's heading into the multiverse of madness. Um, Falcon and Winter Soldier isn't as heady as this other stuff, but it was about can someone else be Captain America? And we're about sure. to see multiple versions of many characters. The Loki series may have invented the multiverse, as far as we know, and it definitely invented the multiverse's main or one of the main villains in Kang. So now we have this movie that's basically saying, okay, yes, Captain America and um, Doctor Strange, sure. But what if there was a cabal of space gods who arrived on Earth millions of years ago and geoengineered two races of people, one called Eternals and one called Deviants, to fight in the shadows for perpetuity? Okay, Sure. Yeah. Psilocybin I, I, is creeping towards legality. Yes. So maybe this is the moment for this. <laughs> I was trying to figure out whether or not, like, that's a fair assessment, of, but both of the plot, but also of the um, left field nature of the pitch. But, you know, what about Ant-Man, right? Like, I guess the, yeah. the difference between uh, the Ant-Man pitch and uh, the, the Eternals pitch is that Ant-Man was also like, and it's a heist movie, too. You know, it's but, that it's basically we're putting it in a package, even if it's like a character you've never heard of who can only really become small, you know, like who cares? But it's like, oh, it's Paul Rudd and Michael Pena and it's one liners and it's Michael Douglas, right? So, yes, but it's also a character that can join the Avengers. And okay. I, but I'm glad you brought up Ant-Man because I think Ant-Man is 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 uh, 
often forgotten because it worked. Ant-Man was the one that everyone was like, oh, they've lost their golden touch. And this was already years ago. And Ant-Man also, I think, led to a very radical change in how Feige and Marvel did business because Ant-Man only existed because they wanted to get into business with Edgar Wright. And Edgar Wright is like, out of all these comics in your long box in your office here, I like Ant-Man. I like the weird one. Mm-hmm. And I want to do it with Paul Rudd and it's going to be goofy and blah, blah, blah. And they were like, great, we want to work with Edgar Wright. But we still do things a certain way. And Edgar Wright was like, no, I don't do things that way. Um, I'm going to exit. And then Feige was like, fine, we'll do it anyway. I thought to save face, but no, it has spawned two sequels and is pretty popular in its own right. And it's and important. That was an amazing, I mean, that's the and thing. It's is- important in the larger overall story. Right. This one feels... There's a few traces of the Ant-Man experience because I don't know how much of this was we must do an Eternals film to bring that aspect of the Marvel Universe to to the main, to the big screen. So, you know, or was it we have an opportunity to work with a visionary director that we're pretty excited about? What is she connecting to on our potentials slate? And that fast-tracked this project. I'm not sure what that relationship is. We'll never really know. Um, but there's a lot of talk now the pre-release uh, chatter, as you pointed out to me, is definitely not, well, don't worry, Kingo's joining the West Coast Avengers. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> there might not be any more of these movies. Yeah, That's cool. So we Marvel, don't need to. Marvel producer Nate Moore came out and said that it was not a must-have. Like, the, a sequel to The Eternals is not a must-have. Now, every indication that I've gotten from people who've seen the movie suggests that there is a lot of heavy bridge building in the Eternals to, towards a, towards sequels, towards these characters being in movies. A lot of post-credit stuff going on. Here. The thing that, um, I, I mean, and you could read his statement as a sincere, like, we didn't make this movie to make it a trilogy. Uh, right. You could also I thought read that it was genuine, yeah. as a uh, vote of no confidence in mounting this again. You know, and I'm sure that whatever happens this weekend and going forward in the next couple of weeks, Kit Harrington will probably be in more MCU movies. You know, like I, 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 I don't know that. I mean, I haven't seen the movie. I don't really even know that much about his character, but you just this that's how this works. And we have to go back uh to 08, and it's like, yeah, it started off like a house on fire with Iron Man, but you know. It took a little while for Thor to get good. You know, it took a little while. Yeah, I mean, it, it took a little while. I mean, Iron Man 2 is not regarded very well. You know, they had two to four movies to figure it out. Like, you got to, I got to the end of Age of Ultron and I was like, I'm probably never going to see one of these movies again. You know what I mean? And, and, that, and little <laughs> did I know, I'd be fucking talking about it for the next nine years, you know? I, I also think that they've changed a lot since then, as has the industry around them. And it's hard to say which changed more, which changed the other more. But we are at a place where Marvel, the brand, is the attraction and is the powerhouse. And it's not necessarily who's wearing the capes or who's under the the helmets. And not everything needs a sequel because every one of these projects, you know, needs to break even or more and likely will just by advance word of mouth and blah, blah, blah. And then you have more pieces to play with. And I mentioned Captain Marvel before. Yeah, Captain Marvel is getting a sequel, but is it? Right. I mean, we talked about this. The Captain Marvel sequel is called The Marvels, and at least is being pitched as almost a three-hander between Brie Larson's character, Carol Danvers, Tiona Paris's character from WandaVision. the uh, WandaVision series, 
and the as-yet-to-debut Ms. Marvel from the upcoming Disney Plus show. Mm-hmm. So is it a sequel? Okay. Or is it just a, you know, kind of rebrand retcon that they're just going to keep moving these pieces around? So, yeah, there are people in Eternals who will live on, and it'll be de- determined on, like, you know, the working relationships and what pops and what people like. And they'll show up in TV shows. And they probably already have filmed appearances in TV shows. So this is already, I mean, this is also a nature of the industry now where anything can be repurposed for parts and put on another project's ledger. So, which is to say, this is already a success. That It's the same kind of, in a, not, not a direct, I don't know if this is literally true, but it is very reminiscent of the kind of who really knows what business we're in anymore? Uh, well, this is where I wanted to... That, that marks stuff like, The Many Saints of Newark was a success. We can't tell you why or how, but trust us. It, yeah. if you, it's all about keeping it moving and keeping it in play. Well, it was, there was a really funny... There was I, I saw a, a, a blog post about David Chase saying, you know, it did very... Many Saints of Newark did very poorly at the box office, but it broke the machine... I, on I read this interview. I, I recommend people check out this David Chase interview. You can get to it through the Hollywood Reporter. But yeah, and and he was like, it, it broke the machine, and now HBO mm-hmm. basically wants the from the end of Many Saints of Newark to the beginning of the Sopranos series. And he's like, I don't want to do that. I want to do another movie about that, but I I won't do a series. And I think they're a little bit of a standstill with that. I mean, I'm sure they're not. I'm sure it's just it's just negotiating. You know, we often do these kinds of metaverse shout out mm-hmm. to Zuck conversations about. Marvel, um, you know, and a lot of the, we don't really approach this necessarily the same way, say, like the Ringerverse pod, which goes at it from a perspective of being really like experts. I mean, you're obviously an expert about this stuff, but experts about the comics and experts about, you know, the the storylines and what they're trying to accomplish in a narrative sense. We often talk about like what this kind of means. Mm-hmm. And I sometimes I think that's a, a little bit armchair quarterbacky for us, but I do think that there is an interesting... Marvel's whole trajectory over the last 15 years has been an interesting metaphor for the industry in general. Not only is it an object of fascination for us, because I think that it's very rare that you see a creative endeavor that is also a business endeavor like this, um, because it is essentially one big story. They are trying to tell one big story with these culminative, if if that's a word, moments like Endgame. And I think that they will try to, you know, going forward, find those same kind of rest stops where everybody gathers together to fight one big, big sort of villain. But it is a universe. And as our idea of what content has expanded, you know, what content Mm -hmm. is has expanded as it is Mm -hmm. TV. And it's also like this sort of uh, also the movies, but those things bleed into one another. And it's hard to tell which one's more significant than the other. I'm kind of interested to imagine a world in which the MCU is truly a universe and isn't necessarily interconnected in the way that I think has been the real uh, addictive quality of these movies over the years. What if there is a world in which there is a Marvel universe that is happening on a like deeply mythological and possibly like outer, you know, outer space level, like the Eternals or Guardians or whatever? And then what if they're just like, you know what, man, we're going to start Fantastic Four and X-Men on the side here. And these things are not necessarily, because at a certain point, it's going to be kind of difficult to make all these things talk to one another, right? That's what what has probably ruled the, I was going to say in the conference rooms, but nobody goes to work anymore, but ruled the Zooms 
um, at Marvel for the last two plus years, right? And if you're interested in street level versions of Marvel Universe, I have some Netflix shows to interest you in <laughs> that are, you know, hastily being scrubbed from that particular multiverse's reality. I think that that is going to be the delicate dance going forward. In a perfect world, they're going to be producing so much content that it will be possible for them not necessarily to have anything to say to each other. And frankly, that's one of the things that has served Feige well. We talked about this when um, we were discussing how the X-Men might get integrated. I think it did him a favor that they couldn't be at the beginning because it would have been too complicated. And I think that he does understand that a character like Daredevil, should he choose to engage with him again, really doesn't need to be on the battlefield of Wakanda against Thanos. Like that doesn't make sense for the character and what is he really contributing to it. So I think that they do have a steady hand on that, but through three shows- Was Daredevil, four, Daredevil a prosecutor or a defense attorney? Prosecutor, right? Oh God, I, I man, I, you just called me an expert too and I'm going to falter this. I think he's in private practice. So I was I just wondering if he could, get, he could get involved. Like maybe like, wouldn't it be cool if Daredevil could litigate against Thanos? You know? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> Daredevil She-Hulk bringing the I'm case pretty, against war crimes against Thanos. No, he's a good guy. He's a pro bono lawyer. He's a defender. Oh, so you think maybe, maybe Daredevil takes Thanos' case because everybody deserves a defense. I think... Well, I hear what you're saying. I think that he, what he doesn't do, I think the smart play is you start representing like Grievous Blade or whatever the other dude standing next to him was or like, <laughs> right. you know, Proxima Midnight voiced by Carrie Coon and be like, she was coerced. Yeah, the you know? Stephanie like, Grisham she, of Thanos. <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Like she she writes a tell-all book and then Matt Murdock stands in front of her at the, yeah. you know, I didn't know what we were going to do in Wakanda. Like I didn't, I thought he liked music and was snapping along to the rhythm. I didn't yeah. realize the effects of the universe. Yeah, I think that's like he told um, me it would just really clear up traffic, you know, <laughs> which like Mussolini, you know, there were some good points. Um, I, I what I was going to say was through the three or four TV shows that we've seen, you and I keep hoping that this is one is going to be the noir detective show just happens to be set in the world, but they can't help themselves. I mean, there's a, a member of the you know, of, of Black Panther's entourage is going to show up or crash through a window at some point just because that is definitely part of what's fun for them and what moves the needle for fans. Right. I think that you were talking about the, how we look at the MCU as in, anyway, my answer to your direct question, which I don't want to avoid is, I have no idea, mm -hmm. but we are starting to reach the breaking point. I did want to respond quickly to your point about the MCU being this, um, you know, d test collision case of um, business and the creative. And I said before that what people are rooting for or, or what people are, what, what's the real attraction at this point is Marvel, right? It is not necessarily the, the stories or the characters or our familiarity with them, which is just an incredible place to be. And it's where Sony wants to be. I mean, they're making a Morbius movie. That's outrageously crazy. But then I would have said making a Venom movie without Spider-Man was crazy. And I, I, then if I had felt otherwise, I could have had a billion dollars at the box office, I guess. Because it was either Sony makes it or I make it. In this yeah, I mean, I, I, I know it was like Briar Patch or, Vet, or Venom, and it was just oh like, no, no, God. like I would just make it myself. It was oh, going right. to be a DIY thing. It was going to be it was going to be very different. Um, but I do have a new iPhone, which apparently is anyway. Um, I was wondering, like, so, do you think when uh, you remember on that Mark Duplass show Togetherness when they did yeah, like the puppet show Dune. of Dune? Do you yeah. think he watches the Denis Villeneuve version of Dune and he's like, eh, that was okay too? Let's get him on the pod. <laughs> I feel like there are certain people who have been very kind and available to us, and I feel like Mark is one of them. Okay. So we could ask him. The thing I was going to say was this multiverse thing 
is such catnip to fans and is kind of fun and exciting and leans into the area of comic book storytelling that I really enjoy, which is the, this is nuts. This is all goofy and adolescent in a way and and nuts. And we should lean into that instead of making everything serious and dark and gritty, et cetera, et cetera. But it also is an incredible shot across the bow of actors. You know, we were sort of talking about this offline a little bit, like, you know, the the seven-year movie, the seven-movie deals that, like, the Downey and Evans and, and Hemsworth signed on to were so interesting and ultimately successful for all parties and also really fed into something that I do think was not was tangible to the su- success of the movies, which is, hey, we're all just hanging out in Atlanta and we love doing these things. This isn't even work. But Marvel's next pivot for the storytelling is the idea that anybody can be anyone mm-hmm. at any time. And it really is, like, not since Steinbrenner have we seen such a public performance of you you root for the shirt, sure. not the person wearing the shirt. And the Scarlett Johansson thing was interesting too because, you know, I, I am not always... I'm always. I'm not always playing my part as bailiff in the court of public opinion. You know, I'm not bull from night court, just checking what's going on. So I'm not. I may be wrong about this, but my sense was not that everyone went out in the streets being like, "Pay Scarlet what she's worth." The vibe seemed to be like, "Oh, can't they get along again? We want yeah. to see Scarlet again. We want everyone to be friends." That I mean, it, I think it was a little bit more pay Scarlet what she's worth, but I think it was similar to the. Tom Holland or the Sony Spider-Man issue that happened about a year and a half ago. Right, when he was like, I'm done and then I'm not done. Yeah, where it was just like, this I, can't happen. Like, we, like, like, please, I've like invested too much in this yes. in this whole thing to have it be like, you guys can't agree over a couple so, million dollars here. So I, I just don't know if this was a harbinger of like rougher um, talent deals ahead or if that's, if Marvel is playing a more, a, a kind of a more dangerous game, which is getting to a point where doesn't really matter. I also, I've, I think I, I, I think I've lost much like your ability to uh, be able to identify a Tame Impala song. Mm. I think I may have lost my ability to determine whether someone's actually famous. I've, I've never been able to identify a Tame no, Impala. No, but like, song. so you what? look at this Eternals cast, and obviously, like Angelina yeah. Jolie and Salma Hayek are like, there's, there's famous people in there. I love Brian Tiger Henry. I don't know if anybody knows who he is. You know what I mean? Like, really, like outside, outside of like Twitter, I don't know if people know who. Honestly, who Richard Madden and Kit Harrington are. Like, they're the guys from Game of Thrones. Mm-hmm. Now, are those guys, are those performers I just mentioned more or less famous than Downey, Evans, and Ruffalo were in 2007? It's such an interestingly framed question, and I don't know if there's an answer for it because all. Also, those... I don't know necessarily that fame would mean one way or the other, like whether well, people are going to go see the movie, but you know what no, I mean? No, but. The way that movie, not just celebrity culture, but the way that Hollywood worked in that decade was that Robert Downey Jr. was famous, mm-hmm. you know, and he was famous for being in movies and also famous for a lot of things that happened when he wasn't in movies, et cetera, et cetera. Kit Harrington has arguably been seen playing a famous character by as many people that have ever seen Robert Downey Jr. in, I mean, in anything non-Marvel related, right. certainly. Um we are in an era of incredibly globally, incomprehensibly famous around the globe characters. And the people who play them are the people who play them. You know, I think that's kind of or a different way of Or the flip of that is it seems like there are people who are obscenely famous. Like, I'm sure Kit Harrington would be like, I'm fucking famous. Let me tell you about how miserable it is, you know? Mm-hmm. But I don't know necessarily that their fame always translates to 
I got to go see Eternals regardless of what critics are saying about it and regardless of whether it's an almost three-hour movie and regardless of whether well, I care about Celestials and Deviants. Also, Kit Harington's, I mean, I, I mean this with no disrespect. I really like Kit Harington. I hope he's in Eternals and I hope he does a lot of more movies as the Black he's, Knight and he's other things. definitely but, in Eternals. <laughs> but, but I mean, like, I'm glad that he's in Eternals. I'm, my point is, what's it, I don't know what his career path is at the right. moment. Right. Um, and what offers he's getting. The Brian Tyree Henry thing, you know, is, is different because I think he's adored and respected on both sides of the industry in terms of just like, this is a genius God level I actor. completely agree. I'm not trying, I'm, it's not like a knock against him. No, it's just I, like- I, I agree with you. I, the, the question you're asking that I struggle with answering is nobody knows who's famous and what's worth anything anymore. Like right. that is just off the board. It just doesn't mean anything. And, you know, there, there are, there's, there are projects announced all the time. I mean, you know, when we have- Sam on back on the pod, you mentioned we'll have him back on. Sam is making a movie, which I'm very excited about. And the, and when it was announced that the cast has now changed slightly, but it was Denzel Washington and Julia Roberts, you know, reunited for the first time since Pelican Brief. Those are both massive movie stars mm-hmm. and incredible talents. Um I don't know what that means. Yeah, I don't know either. I, mean, it's, I, I, I don't really think that a lot or... of the most recent Tom Hanks movies have been particularly successful. I mean, mo- right. uh, they're on Apple, so I mean, I don't really know what they do, but I don't know that you would call... Tom Hanks is an older man now. I mean, I don't know necessarily. And the kinds of movies that he makes mm-hmm. seem to be very much in the kind of movie a, a, a Tom Hanks... A, elderly Tom Hanks fan would enjoy, you know? I think I, I think that, and I'm interested in this conversation, but I think it's an ongoing one about the nature of celebrity. But I, I, I think that the, the best factoid to drop here is that one of the most successful contemporary movie stars or newly minted movie stars of the last in less than a decade is Chris Pratt, who keeps it fucking moving. You know, it's not enough for him to be Star-Lord he also is the anchor of the Jurassic Park movies, and he is also the voice in the Lego movies, and he has a TV show coming, and also yeah, that dude seems more Garfield like the, he seems now. more like The Rock to me than like yeah, but The Rock is another good example of it. Like it's you can't just I mean I saw something interesting this week too. That like but it, 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 think about both those guys. They don't do one for them, one for me. No, they do one. They for just the, do one for the brand. They just do, yeah. They just do all of them yeah. for the brand, yeah. and some, and they're really good at it, and they make things that are really entertaining and satisfy a lot of people. I'm not knocking it, but that old model of like, I'm going to do gonna Zodiac, do, and then I'm going to do Hulk, and then I'm going to do, yeah, yeah. Should should we quickly before we get into the show we want to talk about this week just say Brian Tyree Henry did return as Paperboy briefly? There was a glimpse at of the, him in the, the teaser, yeah, teaser trailer for Atlanta season three, which was and then Glover took. Dave down a couple of notches on Twitter. <laughs> Did you but see then that? he deleted it, right? So wait, let's explain this. So Glover broke his Twitter silence and posted a link to a, a website that if you went to the website, you could then see like a minute long clip that I think had a Sun Ra orchestra track. Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm getting that wrong, but with shots of beautiful shots of European locales that mm-hmm. ended with just a, you know, Hall of Fame deadpan look. As, as always, just trademark, just full of pathos from Brian Terry Henry as Paperboy. Instead, Atlanta was coming in 2022. Director Hiro Murai then tweeted, like, or put on Instagram, like, see, we've shot at least 14 shots of Atlanta season three, which I really enjoyed seeing. Yeah. But then, in addition to tweeting the link, Glover then just, like, just tossed a couple Lucy's at Dave, right? And then deleted them? Yeah. 
Was I, he like I, you guys? I, I I've, saying that I've been seeing you guys be like Dave is better than Atlanta now. It was, that's not a direct quote, but it was like it was definitely like shots I, at Dave. Yeah, that's fun. Yeah, I mean, Atlanta's the best show on TV. What? Like, what is there it, any other shots? What other TV show beef would you like to see? Oh my god! I what wish other there was show more on TV show, show violence would you like to see? I I, I like it when. You you know this. One of my favorite movie scenes from this century is the opening of Tony Gilroy's Duplicity mm-hmm. when on a private jet tarmac, Tom Wilkinson and Paul Giamatti just like fist fight. Just slap wrestle. They <laughs> yeah. don't even fist fight. So I kind of like it when aging successful people who shouldn't do that. So, you know, I'd, I'd love to see, I'd love to see Taylor Sheridan be like, it's nice knowing I can do what Nick Pizzolatto couldn't. You know what I mean? Or just like <laughs> these like super macho dudes yeah. who have their own empires and are fine doing that. I would love, I would love, love, love to see that. I, there, you won't, you won't care about this at all. They're better than it, but I would love to know the creator of Bluey's true thoughts about Paw Patrol. I, I would, I would, I, pay I would like to see a cameo talking about that beef between super emo family dramas. Like, yeah. I would like to see Kadem's tweeting at, that this is us squad and be like, I'm your dad. <laughs> I invented you. Yeah. What do you know about weeping at 8 p.m. on a Wednesday? Yeah. Um, That's fantastic. Why don't we take I a quick break too. and we're going to come back and talk about the second season of Love Life. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. One thing you don't have to worry about cleaning up this spring season, your wireless bill. Just switch to Mint Mobile. It's easy. And right now they have unlimited talk, text, and data plans for $15 a month when you buy a three-month plan. To get this new customer offer, go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required equivalent to $15 a month for first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Uh, Andy, we're back. Before we do Love Life, I wanted to ask you another HBO Max adjacent question. Mm-hmm. Did mm-hmm. you watch the Station Eleven trailer? I did. I did. Yeah. Our our buddy Patrick Somerville's show coming HBO Max December. Mm-hmm. Um, Hiro Murai directed at least the pilot. I don't know how many he ended up doing. Uh, I think it's a testament to how good this show looks that mm-hmm. I was able to get past the word flu. Oh my god! I know. I mean, we're we're going to talk to Pat about all this, yeah. and this is based on the Emily St. John Mandel book, and it was in production when COVID hit. So this is not some like, oh, let's put in a let's put a pandemic show into production. Like this is irony of ironies. I mean, and I can't imagine how crushing it was. They were making this show when something that seemed like it comes from the world of the show happened. 
So there's no cynicism here. And in fact, I mean, I, I trust this creative team anyway, but in fact, it's the it's the opposite. Like no one probably in the creative community or in active production was more attuned to this and probably more upset and affected by it and brought more of that sensibility to it when they were finally able to resume. But, but it's, I've struggled. I struggled with the trailer because they're like buying stuff in the supermarket and the world's ending. And I'm like, I... <laughs> I don't know. It's going to be hard. I, we're going to watch it. No, I mean, I, I'm really, hard. I'm really looking forward to it. I think that it looks, I have not read the book. It looked legitimately great. Like I, yeah. I think that it has, it has a potential to be like legitimately great. Let's talk a little bit about love life. So this is something that you kind of skipped. You watched maybe an episode. I can't remember the first season. I watched two or three from the two first or three. Season. I really liked it quite a bit. I was charmed by Anna Kendrick. Um, I thought it was a really, uh, creative execution of the rom-com and also got into some dramatic stuff that I, I thought I thought I just I just really enjoyed that first season I don't really even remember what like my like fancy take about it was so it's back Sam Boyd who created the show the first time around is joined by some new executive producer creators among whom uh, is Bridget Bedard who worked on Transparent it has shifted basically I mean it's kind of it's I would call it interconnected anthology. I guess you would call this series now because the new star or the new protagonist is William Jackson Harper from obviously Good Place, and uh, he is briefly shown with Anna Kendrick's character from the first season. But obviously, the story just sort of branches off from there. I've watched the first two episodes of the second season. I wanted to know what you thought of it though, because this is a uh, this is you know you returned to the to the scene of the crime for you. Not since The Leftovers oh my have God. I done a 180 on a show like this. Wow. I have also only seen two episodes. Okay. But I was totally charmed by them and truly, truly enjoyed them and thought they were excellent. And, you know, I, I, you will have to speak to how much you think just objectively the show sharpened its focus or found its voice or understood its tone better. I mean, because that can happen, certainly for any production, even one that is essentially an anthology like this. I mean, you just know what you're doing more and you can execute at a higher level. But it's also kind of, my reaction, I think, is kind of TVE, if not just rom com which is context matters, specifics matter, characters matter. And I actually like Anna Kendrick, but you know, I, I know that the Grantland team, I was in the office getting my laptop fixed by Chris because I think that's what he did there. <laughs> and I remember I caught, a, I caught a lot of flack for, because this actually was what happened in the office, saying that Anna Kendrick, like on my rankings of Kendrick's, was lower than Lamar and Major League Baseball second baseman Howie, but above NBA center Perkins. <laughs> okay. You know, but it didn't work for me. Like I just, there was a combination between her being, like maybe it was where the character was pitched because we met that character at a younger place and she sort of aged into the person she was throughout the season. There was a certain vision of New York that I just found a little bit, I don't know, tired or off-putting. It didn't click. Maybe that's just all that needs to be said. To it's, connect to our conversation about star power though. Yeah. And what it matters and what it means. William Jackson Harper is a very charismatic I know I, people say he's incredible on the stage. I've never seen him on the stage, but he is a TV star. Yeah. Through and through with an effortless ease and charm and charisma that you just, you root for and you want to be with. And I was right there with him from the beginning of the first episode. And, 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 and I do want to talk about some of the very smart things they've done to evolve it. But 
you know, I just, it's night and day. I think, I, I think I'm now getting what you were saying in your raves about the first season. I'm just really charmed and I'm really, really here for it. It's, it feels, so it's Bridget Bedard and Rochelle Williams who worked on Survivor's Remorse are also, they joined Sam Boyd on the creative side here. And I can't, it's hard to articulate how different it feels to have it be centered on a, a male protagonist in yeah. this kind of, it, it, it's a different show. Like it definitely has like a little bit more of an edge. I think obviously over the last I mean, for forever, but like we've sexual politics and that kind of stuff has been so in the forefront of the discourse over the last few years. It's really interesting to watch a show be like, here are these very everyday interpersonal, you know, interactions between male and female characters. Mm-hmm. And like, we're going to play some of it as straightforward guy having a midlife crisis, finding himself stuff. But there's also this undercurrent of like, is this guy fucking up a little bit in places? Like, I think it's like a pretty sober and three-dimensional view of a character. And I, I really, I'm really into it. It, it, it weirdly, I like love life season one got dark in the middle of the season there. Like it wasn't just like this girl named Darby is just going to go find love. It, it, it did get, it did, it did grapple with addiction. It grappled with a, you know, failing marriages, but this this season starts off and it's like this guy's in trouble, you know, in, in the beginning. Yeah, it, it, and he is sometimes not great, and yeah. sometimes he makes mistakes, and so he's very flawed. And I think that's also the the magic you get with a performer like William Jackson Harper. I mean, he he sells it, and you understand there's a consistency to who he is at the core, and so you can watch him waver. You know, you can you can see him get put through the ringer and and behave in ways that aren't admirable because you connect, you understand. No one's admirable all the time. Yeah. I, I think one of the other really truly impressive things about the show, and, and I realize that this is rich coming from one half of a podcast with two 44-year-old white guys, but <laughs> to my 44-year-old white eyes, I was really struck by and impressed with how the show grapples with intra-black conversations, mm-hmm. conversations that... that um, the main character has with um, like Jessica Williams' character, Mia. Jessica Williams is also great in the show. Great chemistry between the two of them. Um, his sister. Or between him and his sister, yeah. Ida, who's played by um, Punky Johnson, who's from Saturday Night Live. You know, I found it really bracing. I found it really exciting, really interesting. Again, I, I, I would imagine we might have a chance or you might have a chance to talk to Sam Boyd again. But no, I don't know him and I don't know the background machinations of the show. But I did think it was noteworthy that he brought in two, not just high-level collaborators, but they seem to be credited as co- co-showrunners, now mm-hmm. the three of them. Um, and I think that really, again, not knowing the specifics of it, but it does seem to have had a really impressive uh, effect on the complexity of the storytelling and what the storytelling is interested in doing within its conventions in a way that I found really compelling. And yeah, I, 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 I think the only... Um, oh, also, Arian Moyed from Succession yeah. showing up, still kind a, of eating in a Balenciaga in a hoodie. Yeah. Douchey way. I <laughs> love that guy forever. Um, casting across the board, just really smart. That guy definitely strong. need. I, 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 that he's one of my favorite performers. I want him to be able to play like a dude working at a nonprofit because he's <laughs> just really be a decent guy. Once cornering the market on shitlords. I, I gotta also shout out comedian CP who plays Marcus, the main character's best friend, Yogi. Yeah, Yogi is batting a thousand 
I mean, I don't remember the last time I saw someone come off the bench and just score buckets like this it, since the dream I had about Tyrese Maxey the other day. Uh, he is really, really, really funny. Um, you know, I, I think there are other things that I was surprised that I softened on. I, we talked about this when we talked about the first season. Hella phones in this show. Tons yeah. and tons of phones and yeah. texting and people looking at phones. And and I have to say, I kind of came around on that too because part of me is just bummed out that all these characters are just staring at their phones all the time. That's something that bums me out in life even when I do it and I don't necessarily want to see it in the art. But I think it's probably honest uh, about the way younger people are or not even not even younger people. But I also think that it's woven into the storytelling and not presented necessarily always as a, a good thing. It's just part of what life is. And, and I think the show does similar stuff with the way it handles drugs and drinking and just what it means to be a certain age and be in a certain city at a certain time. I think it's pretty, I, I'm really in. I really enjoyed those episodes. Yeah, it's, it's also existing in this weird gray area between comedy and drama. I don't think it's like funny. I, but I also mm-hmm. don't think it's trying to, but I think I expect it to be funny because of the rom-com designation that something like this would get. But it's, it, it is rather, there's some funny moments, like, you know, like you said, the Yogi being like, I'm watching Monsters, Inc. and then I'm watching Monsters University. Like that, there's funny stuff. He, he, he's funny. But there's also like, I, I, I'm very much watching this as a relationship drama and mm-hmm. it's it's a sly move because I think you have to, you know, it's all about packaging. You have to like make this like an extension of the first season and also like these short stories and, that are based and around Anna Kendrick's these. in the first episode, we should say, for yes. people who are super into serialization. Exactly. As, as far as the Love Life cinematic universe goes, Darby is her <laughs> story. But like goes also, on. It's, I, I just think like they, they sh- you know, they, they, sh- they shot in good locations in New York. Um, shout out N Japanese Brasserie. They had, like, dude, did you, see where they, did you see where the bar, what bar they're in in the second episode? Fiddlesticks. The Philly Bar in New York. Isn't that a Philly no, Bar? No, that's, that's Wogies. Fiddlesticks is, oh. is on Greenwich. But it's, I think, I think the show itself sums it up really well because Marcus High on Adderall is like, I always wanted to come into this place. And the woman who works there is like, why? <laughs> Fiddlesticks is a classic why. Oh, place. Fiddlesticks was next to the, uh, the crime bookstore, right? Uh, it was on the block. It was on the block of, this, of the crime bookstore that is now a safe cash. I think I used yeah. the bathroom at Fiddlesticks once. I think I just like, I don't know if I ever went in there though. Great I, bathroom because it was always crowded and you could always plausibly be like, oh, my friend's in the other room. No, yeah. The, uh, back there. Right. <laughs> totally. Absolutely right. By the way, I got, I was in New York this year walking with my friend, long walk. And, uh, you know, one of the things you forget when you move to LA is that just knowing how to triangulate bathrooms. Yes isn't a thing in LA, but in New York, you constantly have to be aware of it. And in COVID, it's even worse. It sucks, and dude. So, I just was there. I, 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 I thought I was going to, I honestly didn't know what was going to happen when I was in Soho the other week, the other this day. This won't surprise anyone when I reveal what kind of a beta I am. But like, I finally like could wait no longer, <laughs> identified the cafe that I was going to use, walked in and was like, hello, and like perused all their items. And I was like, Hmm, I will have one of the cheapest item. Yes, please. Can I have because this? I have to earn the right <laughs> box to of do water. It. Yeah, <laughs> but the smaller box. And then she was like, "Yes, that will be nineteen fifty or whatever." Sure. It's still New York. And then I was like, "Thank you." Hmm, a passing thought has just <laughs> just frolicked across my cerebral cortex. You wouldn't have anything as base as a 
A resting a room. A public restroom, yes. <laughs> you, I just feel like it might be worth a, you know, just an exploratory visit. Yeah. Uh, and she was like, sorry, no public bathroom. And I was like, mmm. <laughs> Did you just pour well, the water no, out? For the no, I was like, keep the change, ma'am. And I walked out with this bottle of water, which was the last thing I needed. And my friend was like, that was fast. And I was like, well, no bathroom. And he's like, you bought the water? <laughs> so I was like, I have gone soft. I God bless him. They're soft. also checking Vax cards everywhere in New York. So it used to be, and I learned this from my father, who is one of the great uh, sleuth peers in American history. He would just walk in. He could walk into La Bernadan and go and go use the bathroom. I picked that up from him. So you know, jumpy bladder. If I have to go, if I have to go, and just, I just like walk into a place with like just an incredible sense of purpose. Use the yeah. bathroom. Totally. And then walk Act out like looking at my phone, being like, he's somewhere else. I'm sorry. I thought he oh. was here. You know, like, <laughs> oh, you said fiddlesticks. Yeah. I'm sorry. But uh, you can't do that anymore because you have to show like your Vax mm. card and your driver's license. And then they're like, and may we seat you? And you're like, no, I just, you may seat like, me. It, yeah. In a stall. Yeah. You right. certainly may, my good sir. Um, last thing on Love Life. And I, I wonder, I want to take your temperature on it too. The only thing that I am not sold on is the narration. Now, this was... You'll get used to it. It's it's a structure of the show, and the great Keith David sonorous baritone is narrating this this season. And I guess it it, it sort of helps with the notion of this as not just an anthology, but like a almost omniscient encyclopedia. There are are universal truths to be found here, yeah. Yeah, and it goes to deep places, but it also gives you backstory and future story of characters that glance in and out like Marcus's one night stand in the second episode. Um, I still see it and I appreciate what it's doing. It's not overly intrusive. It's fine. I can imagine you getting used to it. But I think the thing that I want to say, and it feels like a criticism couch and a compliment or vice versa, I don't think the show needs it. You know, I just think that it's so far in the second season has stumbled into something where clearly it's about one person with an individual story, but it it's not straining to to make larger commentary. I kind of think of it as like world. it's like a New Yorker story. I know it doesn't sound like a New Yorker story, but I almost feel like you're paging through like a book of short stories about people in relationships. But I, I I understand what you mean by it being like it's a little bit intrusive. Would you read more New Yorker stories if they were about taking Adderall <laughs> and drinking too much in bars? No, but I do think that I need Ben Taub to break down where we're supposed to pee in New York City now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Greenwald, we're going to stop there. Sunday night, join us for our Succession pod. It will go up after Succession episode four airs on the HBO network. Thank you to Kai McMullen. Back from Outside Lands and better than ever for producing our podcast today. Our podcast is about Inside Lands. We are brought to you by Tame Impala. Uh, and, and, um, Hum a few bars, Chris. Hum a few bars are their biggest hit. We'll talk to you Sunday night. <laughs> 